again, I mentioned it, but it's learning by doing. Like, don't be afraid to jump right into tasks or tools. For example, tools in our work is quite important. And if you've never used any tool, um, mentioning whatever, Notion, Airtable, something, just, just explore it. Just click the button. Just click check okay this didn't work i can use this for this that for that so kind of this piece to uh yeah learning it by yourself i think this is very crucial not like oh i don't know i've never done it before no you can do it now like let's just yeah and it's gonna work uh perfectly now this guest is an interesting one she's what i call a global platform lead because she's a ukrainian girl living in Mexico City, working for a fund based out of Washington, D.C. Her fund's name is Axion Venture Lab, which is an early stage investment fund focused on inclusive fintech startups. My guest's name today is Eugenia, also called Eugenia, I believe, if I recall. And she's pretty cool because she has these superpowers that we dive into during the actual episode. Never met anyone like her, but hey, don't take my word for it. Let's dive in. You've arrived at your destination. Eugenia, super, super excited to have you on. Uh, I know we have spoken before and I've had the opportunity to learn a lot about what you're doing, but I felt like bringing you on a podcast to let more people know what you guys are doing at Axion and honestly, your super unique background would be super fun. So I'm very happy to have you on today. Thank you so much, Bash. It's really cool to be here. Happy to share everything I know. <laughs> well, lucky listeners. So maybe to get the audience as excited to have you on as I am. Why don't you give us a brief intro about who you are and what you're up to these days? Yeah, I'm Eugenia or Eugenia here in Mexico City, where I'm based. Um, so I'm Ukrainian. I work for the um, US-based company called Axion and specifically for the fund that is Axion Venture Lab. I live in Mexico City for like two years now. Uh, it's been a great experience. Um, Really love it here. And then for my job, I'm a head mm -hmm. of community currently uh, at Axion Venture Lab. I used to work in a startup ecosystem for like um, seven years right now. Um, really enjoying it uh, before I had like different backgrounds and uh, working for the Foundation for Historic Historical Memorial Center. And before that, I was studying. So I lived my almost whole life in Ukraine and currently mm -hmm. Mexico City for me. That's super diverse. and. I remember when we were talking initially, the way you described essentially how you got into venture capital from a very interesting background and having the passion to work with startup founders. You know, I'm, I've, I've been speaking to a lot of VC professionals such as yourself, and I'm noticing there's a lot of women in VC platform specifically who do a great job and their backgrounds are very non-traditional which is again, super exciting for me as well, because I also do not have a venture capital background. So for yourself, Eugenia or Eugenia, why venture capital? Like what made you join the venture capital space specifically? Well, I think you're touching on two main points, like why there are a lot of women and why mm. I joined VC. I think uh, why people have different backgrounds and then switch to that. I think in in the VC world and startup ecosystem, one of the main things is execution. So if you can execute really well and you have a different background, I think you can work in VC space. That's how I treated. <laughs> that's how I started it. Because mm. again, I studied international relations and Spanish translation. I did uh, work for two years in the Holocaust Memorial Center uh, in the foundation to build the museum. And then out of nowhere, I'm like, okay, let's do VC and startup competitions for a Swiss company called Seedstars. So it was my first step into this world. 
Um, again, I did not have a background. I was really good at execution. And I think this is what kind of made me uh, a good a professional from the start. Uh, because, and, and one other thing is like learning by doing. This is what uh, VC world requires because you cannot embrace everything, like starting from like mentoring startups, doing events, doing um, investment analysis, all of those pieces. And we as a head of platform or head of community, we need to, to know and to do a little bit of everything. Um, and uh, this is actually, again, getting back to execution, this is like a main part of the whole thing that, that we do in see. That's a lot of gems right there. Uh, you, you have a lot of my respect for um, saying that, you know, learn by doing. It's something I've had to also pick up in my personal life and in my professional life. I think there's a lot that you can learn from books or talking to experts and mentors, etc. But in my personal experience, a lot of the things that actually move the needle, you need to pick up as you're working through the more critical and the more difficult items. And speaking about execution, when I was on your LinkedIn, Eugenia, I noticed that you've had, you have, you come from a very, what's the word? a very strong management background and execution background when it comes to events. You've literally organized events, which blows my mind, across several continents with hundreds and maybe sometimes a thousand plus attendees, right? Just kind of taking a quick detour into that space. Like how does one, when you're leading community, when you're leading activities that bring founders, startups and all these together, if there was one tip that you have for how you can execute event management to that perfection like what would that be <laughs> one advice so yeah. first of all i think why am i let's say good i don't know people say good at doing that mm. it's because i have a good imagination this is number one i mean you can develop it it's not like someone has a bad imagination but this is so helpful into understanding in your mind how the event is going to be structured who is going to be there how it's going to be happening in another country. Again, I'm uh, based out of Mexico City and I organize events in Indonesia, Singapore, Argentina, uh, Netherlands. So kind of Im imagining how it's gonna be the full flow from A to Z, like from the start and even like when the attendees are getting to know about the event until the feedback forms. So you kind of need to have the, this whole picture in your head from the start. And then the next tip is actually Again, planning and execution and timelines, like you really like, I don't, you don't need to use fancy tools for like event management tools. You can do it on a, I don't know, Google doc or spreadsheet <laughs> sure. and just like really create the whole picture for yourself. Okay. This I need to do by this date. This team member needs to do by this and delegate as well, because mm. sometimes we're taking it all on us. And I'm like, as an event manager, I love seeing how it's going on and, and con let's say controlling and doing it <laughs> myself, but like delegation yeah. piece as well, but you need to control what you've delegated, right? And explain sometimes it's also hard for event managers to kind of explain the whole picture, but like to make people involved and love what you are doing and how the event is going to look like. It's again, our job. And by again, creating this whole picture and whole plan, mm -hmm. um, I think that's, you can do it in different countries because in essence, events, they have like specific steps. Of course, they differ from event to event, mm -hmm. but like, I would say like around 10 steps that you need to take. And again, if you have this plan, just replicate in other yeah. countries and continents uh, and universes. You make it sound very easy, but um, I've tried to organize 
a cottage trip once for my friends. We were in Toronto. And I had the hardest time because everybody had their own plans. They had their own preferences. They had their own budgets. That took me two weeks. And for you to organize events across waters of multiples of people, delegate, and then also putting your trust because you can't. So I came to Canada 18 years ago from Bangladesh. And sometimes I can tell you because of the cultural differences, the amount of trust that you have to put into someone overseas so that they execute well in their hyper-localized environment, you you personally can only do so far because you don't know what you don't know. So again, very respectable chops there for organizing events, which I think will is a perfect segue to talking about what Axion does. So maybe tell us a little bit about um, the company in general, because I know you guys have a rich history. I'm kind of open to learning about who Axion is, what the company or organization is known for, and then maybe we can then pivot into your role within the company. Yeah, absolutely. So Axion was founded in 1961. So it's a long history company, as you mentioned. Uh, they were first pioneers in microfinancing around the world. Uh, it was founded in Colombia. Uh, and um, when, again, getting to uh, my team, which is Axion Venture Lab, and we have venture capital fund within a nonprofit because Axion is a nonprofit itself. So in 2012, when the startups were kind of booming and interesting sector to be in, um, there was appointed, let's say, one person who uh, wanted to explore to invest in these uh, high risk solutions called startups. They allocated amount of the budget uh, for that and uh, decided to try it out. It went really well. Um, so we got some good returns. And then finally, we decided like to start uh, being like as a as a normal VC fund, meaning having LPs on board and like operate with a like management fee for the fund, etc. So this is kind of in the nutshell how it started it because the organization was global. Mm -hmm. uh, we also invested globally started to invest globally. By now we have more than 65 investments around the world, meaning uh, we invest in emerging markets fintech and impact. So these three components, uh, the company should have so we kind of look and, and probably invest in it. And in terms of the regions, yeah, we invest mm -hmm. in Africa, Latin America, Asia, uh, and um, uh, US as well. Um, so yeah, this is kind of, uh, it worked out, it worked out really well. We have like good exits, good companies by now uh, that we invested in. And last year, uh, there was a need for a head of community. And I was the first one who was uh, taking this role, like mm -hmm. kind of also pioneering in the fund with a, uh, head of community platform, everything it entails, uh, and because before they just did not have this person. So this is kind of a cool part of the ownership that I have and a little bit of more uh, creativity that I can bring because nobody else did it before. That's really cool. And I love how you naturally segued the conversation into your role because that's that was going to be my next question. And before we actually dive into it, I want to make an observation. So as I've been reaching out and speaking with professionals in the VC space, and I told you, as I mentioned, most of them are women. I'm noticing a lot of their titles, much like yourself, are head of community. But then when I speak with them, it's obvious that it's not just community, it's also platform and supporting these founders, right? So the question I have for you, Eugenia, is like, how come? Like, What's the difference between head of platform and head of community? And are these roles intertwined? That's my question. And then how are you guys approaching community? Sorry platform at uh, Axion Ventures or Axion. 
Axion Venture Lab, you can say. Axion Venture Lab, there we go. Love it. Um, so, yeah, it's a bit complex. And, you know, VC Platform did a really good research and kind of like uh, head of platforms, head of communities. I think just every fund defines it for themselves according to their needs. And mm -hmm. then they call it like that. So I think if there is a little bit more of like marketing, social media events, being uh, in touch with the stakeholders, probably it's kind of a head of community. But when it has a component of uh, taking care of founders, working with them directly, uh, being like with founders as a first point of contact, then I would call it a head of platform. So being more of a support to founders. For, mm -hmm. it's it's how I define it in my head. But for yeah. us, it's a little bit different. For our fund, uh, we do not have a head of platform. We have only head of community <laughs> you are listening to. Uh, and we kind of structure it in two ways. Mm. One is industry engagement, uh, meaning what I mentioned, social media, events, uh, content coordination, podcast, uh, FinTech for the people that I'm editing. Um, so this is kind of one part mm -hmm. of thought leadership, uh, and it's around the marketing and thought leadership of our fund and of our team members. Mm -hmm. And then the second part, what I'm doing, it's called portfolio benefits. And this is for like working with our founders, but more on a soft skills. So meaning coaching, um, perks, like discounts on the tools, mm -hmm. helping them with PR, boosting their visibility. And in case they have these questions, they come to me. And one other piece of it is um, community, like peer-to-peer -peer events that we create only for our portfolio companies to kind of support them with a knowledge sharing as we do CEO forum when we invite like 40, oh, like last year it was 40. Now it's going to be more, um, post, yeah. uh, more investment. So uh, inviting to another uh, country to kind of have these forums and chats online or offline. So kind of bringing this uh, knowledge sharing in between um, founders from other countries. So this is too, but this is again, a head of community role, it's how we define it, because we have a very strong piece to portfolio engagement. And that's mm -hmm. why for us, it's like portfolio engagement and platform. My role, head of community platform, but portfolio engagement, we have a dedicated team to that. And this is what we support our founders with in terms of business, fundraising, so just a quick note on this portfolio engagement after investment, after we do an investment in the specific company, our team goes on site, like to the country where this company is based and doing like 100% oh my God, and doing a 100 days project with them uh, to um, yeah, just open up the business and see all the gaps they have. And then within a week on site, they work with a whole team uh, to again, identify, bring something new and work solely on like business and, and fundraising, people operations, etc. which is more, let's say, a heavy lift of our support. And that's why mm -hmm. it's called portfolio engagement. My side, I always say like, I'm not doing investments. I do the fun part for the fund and for our portfolio <laughs> companies. Yeah. So this is how, how we define. Yeah, a bit complex, but this is how it works for our fund. Looking at the founder ecosystem, what you're doing at Axion, what you've done at Seedstars, how are you seeing the VC platform function evolve in the last three, two years? And you know, how are founders looking at it? How are LPs looking at it? It's kind of curious to hear your thoughts on the whole function as a as an entirety 
Yeah, it's a very good question because as you know, and it's in my case at Seed Stories and Axion, I was like the first one getting into this role and kind of figuring out myself. Uh, so now the more and more funds understand the value of this role and in general, the platform and support to founders. So as soon as they create this function, they're like, okay, who needs to lead this? And they onboard head of platforms, head of communities. Uh, I think, first of all, I'm sure it's going to be growing because as soon as the fund invests in the company, we're in the same boat and we really want to figure out how to make this business successful because we have the same goal, both of us. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, answering your question, number one, yes, of course, it's going to be growing. Uh, the second piece to it is kind of institutionalizing it a little bit. I think we see platform again, getting back to uh, the team, Josh and others, they're doing a great job of institutionalizing like some metrics, some uh, advice, like really it's becoming more as an industry itself as how I see it. And I really like it. We were even thinking it would be cool to have a, uh, like a faculty in the university for head of platform, head of community roles and how to again, manage it at best. So I'm, I'm very much positive about the, the future of that. And again, uh, it's also very important for LPs and uh, managers of funds to understand that this role is quite crucial because it it's like helps in all fronts with, as I mentioned, marketing and like just bringing people together that can be helpful further uh, down the road. And same like having this person who helps founders as a point of contact in anything. I think this is very important to have this like human uh, part to it as well, because as I see again, from my previous experience with SeedStars and, and Axion, I really love working with founders and kind of mm -hmm. have this sort of trust in between each other. And uh, just to have again, a point of contact, because from my experience in SeedStars and Lab, like it's sometimes founders just want to share problems that they have and they don't want to share it with partners or investment officers that actually made an investment so they want to have this person who will understand them will support them with any issue they have so again uh, it was a quite a long answer but i think this role is super important and i'm positive about it growing and being more and more important within the funds i, I really like the last point you you mentioned eugenia um having not just paraphrasing what you said having someone to talk to who is not the managing partner, who is not the LPs, and who's basically someone you can almost confide in to really share the problems that you can't really share with the grander crowd. It's like having a sibling, you know, telling your brothers and sisters, exactly. you can't tell your parents everything, right? Um, exactly, because we will understand everything, but at the same time, yeah, we'll be also happy to provide an advice or recommendation. Yeah, and I had a... You know, the, the previous uh, person who was on the pod, Abby, she mentioned that she heard of another firm actually had a therapist as part of their platform services, which is so crucial because, you know, in some, especially with you guys, like you're investing globally and in some countries, I know in Bangladesh, for example, mental health is still a taboo. You're, if you talk about it, people think there's something fundamentally wrong with you. And so people yeah. hide it, but then it, when it really is a necessity, then it's almost too late to go and seek that support. So with you guys, as you're investing globally, you know, imagine if you had, you know, a centralized uh, mental health infrastructure or support, and it's really just part of your platform function. This is not me telling you how your platform should evolve. It's just me sharing my, my little thought process here. Very valuable service for founders to be able to talk to a therapist. Um, so if you could give some advice 
to your 25-year-old self or 20-year-old self about what you could do about getting into platform? What would you tell that younger version of yourself? Because I think this is something a lot of to-be VC professionals always think of because they're scared to maybe approach the venture capital space. They think they're not cut out for it because they don't have that MBA from Harvard, but they have a very deep want and desire to work in the space. So what advice would you give to your younger self to get into the VC platform space, you think? Yeah, I think maybe three important things here. Mm. Number one that I mentioned in the beginning, execution. And then like just made what you are asked to do. Like really don't procrastinate on it. Just like have a specific deadline for yourself and just be organized and execute, execute, execute. Uh, number two is being curious. I think if you don't know anything about the sector, like it takes uh, not that much of a time to be actually curious in something and just learn, read. There are tons of information and there are tons of communities or thought leadership newsletters that you can grasp this information from and be a little mm -hmm. bit more knowledgeable and understand like some terms, some specific uh, things to, to our sector. So like fundraising, et cetera. So kind of you are in the game as well. Uh, mm. And um, uh, number three is, uh, again, I mentioned it, but it's learning by doing. Like, don't be afraid to jump right into tasks or tools. For example, tools in our work is quite important. And if you've never used any tool, um, mentioning whatever, Notion, Airtable, something, just, just explore it. Just click the button. Just click, check. Okay, this didn't work. I can use this for this, that for that. So kind of this piece to... Uh, yeah, learning it by yourself. I think this is very crucial. Not like, oh, I don't know. I've never done it before. No, you can do it now. Like, let's just do it yeah. now. And it's going to work uh, perfectly. So I think these three main things, like learning by doing, executing, and mm -hmm. being curious in the sector that you want to be in. You're reminding me of also what investors look for in founders, right? Like self-driven individuals who have a very per they have a personal reason to do what they're doing as they're building out these companies because they want to see something get created and that's what it reminds me of i feel like even as you're supporting these founders much like yourself if you're also in the same mental state where hey if i don't know something i'll go out and figure it out it's up to me to figure out what the next version of what i'm doing looks like and how i can improve my team's efforts how i can improve my own efforts I feel like those qualities almost splash into the founders because then they feel inspired having you by their side and knowing, hey, I can call her up if I need some help. If she believes in me, why can't I as a founder go out and build, right? And I think Absolutely. that kind of psychological and emotional support and also alignment, in my opinion, is very rare. So I'm really, really excited to see what you guys are doing at Axion Venture Lab. And thinking back to your specific role, Maybe give the audience and myself a bit of a walkthrough. I'm really curious about this one. You know, what does your day-to-day -day look like? You know, and you know, what are some examples of maybe the kinds of things that your fintech founders call you up for at in the middle of the night? I'm very curious to see what that role looks like for yourself. Oh my God, you don't really want to know my day because it's a little bit hectic. Um, as you know, oh again, I work globally. <laughs> Oh, true. And globally, meaning being in Mexico City now, currently my day-to-day uh, -day is organizing a regional meetup in Singapore, uh, giving 12 hours uh, difference. Uh, so I wake up with Singapore and I go to sleep with Singapore. So That's I can catch up. 
catch up before uh, they they uh, no before I go to sleep and they woke up and so this uh, so this is what I, I currently do because we need to do like logistics there and uh, content and investor day um, it's it's a big thing. Uh, another piece to my day is social media because I run LinkedIn and Twitter page and also I want to catch the audience of India and Asia. So I need to do it as early as possible in the morning and it's kind of 9am DC time, which is 7am for me. So this yeah. is how my day starts. I need to create a post and post it on our social media platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rest of the day, yes, I'm flowing with uh, a lot of things. Uh, PR, for example, is one of them. Because mm-hmm. sometimes, of course, like the startups on the early stages, they do not have a strong PR team. And this is what we want to support them as well. We do have communications team, a solid team of Axion, and I'm kind of a liaison with it. So I need to connect, let's say, founders with the communications team to review the press release, pitch press release to the media, and then do some blog posts about like why we invested. We normally write the blog, why we invested to this company to kind of mm-hmm. also get everyone excited about that. So this is um, another piece to my uh, to my work. And then currently we are also doing um, a pilot project for the coaches, for our founders. We wanna see how they like receptive to that, to work with a platform, like a separate mm-hmm. platform we uh, partnered with for the coaches. And then lastly, again, talking about these events, it's not just an event in Singapore. This is like a regional meetup where we bring our um, Asia-based companies to Singapore, Singapore FinTech Festival, and create a separate engagement apart from the festival to that for them. Like Investor Day, and I need to take care of inviting investors and matching them on one-on-one with our founders. So kind Mm. of having, it's like an event, but at the same time, it has a lot of like content piece to it or a lot of thought uh, through peace to it. I hear you. And one thing I wanted to ask you, Eugenia, is, you know, you're you're seeing the space evolve. You're seeing it formalize. Let's take a step back and just talk about um, giving advice to other platform functions, right? Let's say there's there's a listener on on this pod now who is figuring out their platform function. They don't really know what to offer, when to offer, how, what depth to offer, etc. If they're figuring things out. What are two pieces of unintuitive advice that you want to give them? I think number one is um, to understand like what your platform offers and what it does not. Because this part of what we do not offer is very important because sometimes you want to help founders with everything you can, but you just don't have this specific feature like in-house or a specific team to work on that. Just be transparent about that, that this is not a part of the support that you're offering because founders also have Mm -hmm. a lot of investors uh, that participate in their rounds and they can ask other founders. It's not embarrassing. It's not bad. You just really need to know what you're good at and what you cannot support founders with. And sometimes we forget, uh, but I think this is also crucial to identify. Uh, And number two, I would say um, if it's helpful, and I think it was helpful for us and and before when I worked in, in a previous organization is to kind of serve founders and ask them what is the most helpful for them because right we like founders who are based out of us might have different needs that founders based out of emerging markets or even emerging markets like out of africa or latin america they might have different needs and like to tailor a little bit those needs and to understand uh, what they actually need and build out of the needs of your portfolio companies i think it's the right move to do and the needs are also changing 
And this here is important to also understand that something that founders needed when you invested in versus what they sure. need a year or two years after, it can be different. So here comes like checking calls, maybe again, what makes sense for you monthly or quarterly to understand how the needs of the founder evolve and where you can step in. And if you are unable to cover this need, you can always introduce the founder. Sometimes we forget about this network introductions, but if you know that a fund is sure. doing a great job and they again our ecosystem and our community of venture capitalists uh, it's very open and we are always going to be um, happy to to support even founders if we haven't invested i would so that if someone needs any help i'm happy to to support for, with what i can uh, if i am again strong in this uh piece of advice and and i i can see the value in that and the way you said because remember uh, just for the audience here you guys invest globally Right. And we you've do. seen founders from different countries have varying sets of needs, which quite frankly, if a fund that only invests in a specific country or region, they don't have that additional pair of eyes that you have. And for you to remind us that one, people's needs change from time of investment to a quarter or two quarters later, they will probably not Absolutely. need the same thing. And also, as we mentioned earlier, investing in regions all over the world, some of their needs and requirements might be hyper localized and or very different from what you're supporting, maybe the same type of fintech founder, but in another region of the world, right? So be, keeping your eyes and ears extra attentive to their needs and being able to offer that when they need it. And I think that's a great, great point that you brought up, Eugenia. Definitely taking notes on my side. That's amazing. Um, so I've learned so much. I think it's, you know, we've spoken before, but I think, you know, I'm still learning a lot from how you conduct yourself within the fund, but also from your experiences organizing so many things in the last um, seven to eight years of your um, career. So there's a magic question. How would you like to close up the podcast? What's, you know, the floor is yours. Tell us, tell us what you want. Oh, wow. You know, when, when there is no question and I could do whatever, it's normally like, mm, I don't know what to say. <laughs> uh, but I would say, um, so yeah, everyone who listens, who need advice on the platform function or just in general, uh, reach out on LinkedIn. I'm quite active there, Eugenia Shevchenko. I know it's hard. Uh, but also, as I'm based in Mexico City, I have my mini blog of um, coffee shops and galleries and bars in uh, in Instagram. So in case you want to also explore Mexico City, also DM me and I will share with you some places. It's UG underscore Telpamax5. In case you're interested, just also let me know. And um, yeah, happy to be a promoter ambassador for head of communities, head of platforms, because I really like my job. Yeah. And I, I think Anyone who would listen to the podcast would totally agree with your last statement. Your excitement is very evident in how you speak about your role. And I'll put your contact information, uh, the Instagram account, as well as the LinkedIn in the details below if anyone wants to reach out. And thank you so much for your time, Eugenia. Um, thank you. Definitely a lot of gems in this podcast, and I'm very happy we did this together. Likewise. Thank you so much for inviting, and yeah, happy to collaborate further. What did I tell you? This episode did not disappoint. If you want to see Eugenia in action on our video, head on over to YouTube and type in Hire CMO Pod, as in podcast, and look out for episode number two where she was our guest. See you on the next one.